0: Why was the Apostle Paul so influential? Why did people listen to him? Uh, why do we listen to him today? What makes Paul an influential figure? Well, we are in a series looking at one of Paul's letters. He wrote a church, he wrote a letter to a church in Thessalonica. It's called today First Thessalonians. And scholars tell us it was uh, probably, or it is probably the earliest surviving christian document paul wrote it about 50 or 51 ad and it's uh, f- according to scholars it is the earliest document that survives from that period and uh, it became incorporated uh, into what what is the new testament after that church had had held on to it had made copies of it when the old ones wore out when they had circulated it with other churches and it eventually became uh, the collection of documents that that after a couple of centuries would be called the New Testament. Why did people do that? Why did people listen to Paul? Why? Why? Wh- what was it that they, they heard in Paul that made them say, "We need to pay attention to what he's saying here"? Uh, we today, looking back on it from from twenty centuries later, we might say, "Well, of course they listened to Paul. He was a man of God." Um, but, but that doesn't answer the question, you know, yes, that's true, but it doesn't answer the question, why did they listen to him? We might say, well, because, because, you know, he had to pay attention because it was in the Bible, but it wasn't in the Bible yet. There was no Bible. Paul is writing the first letter that will become part of the Bible. So why did they say, well, we need to pay attention to Paul here? What, you know, what was it about this man of God that, that they looked at and said, we need to pay attention to Paul? Now, uh, we may say, well, okay, there there wasn't a Bible, but but he he had had, uh, proven his his godliness because he had performed miracles. And and that may be the case. We know from the book of Acts that Paul did uh, perform miracles in uh, in some of his missionary journeys, but he didn't perform them in Thessalonica, not not as far as we know. They're not mentioned in the two letters that survive he wrote to um, to the church in Thessalonica, he doesn't mention anything about miracles, and nothing about miracles is is mentioned in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, so, so it's not obvious that he did any miracles to confirm his his apostleship or uh, his uh, authenticity while he was in Thessalonica. So. Probably not miracles. And in fact, there's a good reason for Paul not to have done any miracles in Thessalonica. And the reason is because uh, the reason he was in Thessalonica is, is, he, is that he got kicked out of uh, Philippi, uh, which was a town a little bit to the north of Thessalonica. He got kicked out of Philippi because he had performed a miracle. He had done an act of kindness to uh, a young a slave girl and, uh, her owners got upset; they stirred up a, a controversy, and they had Paul arrested. He was beaten with rods by the, the the Roman officials in the town, and then he was thrown into a dungeon and Then when he got out, he was expelled from town so So if Paul showed up in Thessalonica, still aching from that beating, that might have persuaded him that maybe the thing he didn 't want to do was to uh, perform any miracles while he was in thessalonica so what was it that that Authenticated his ministry. What was it that made people listen to Paul? I mean, they had they had con artists back then. They had grifters. They had charlatans. They had they had uh, fast talking salespeople in those days. In fact, uh, the word sophistry means uh, to to uh, uh, sell a, a a a line of argument that sounds good uh, in exchange for a buck. And, uh, they had, the word sophistry dates to 2400 BC. So they had, they had sophists four, four centuries before the time of Paul. So, so they, they were not any more susceptible, uh, to, to a fast talker than, than we are today. They had every reason to believe that Paul could have been one of those charlatans, one of those, uh, grifters or con artists. And they didn't. Instead, they believed Paul. So, so why do, why, why did they listen to Paul? And, and, and if we think about that, we should ask the question, well, why do we listen to people today? Who, who is it we do listen to? Is there someone that we think of as an authority? When I was in college, I saw a car with a bumper sticker once, and the bumper sticker said, question authority. Question authority. And, I, I joked with my friends, presumably what that bumper sticker meant was that was that we, the people who read it, should make a point of questioning those who are in authority over us, that we should ask them questions. But it can be read two different ways. And so what my friends and I decided is what it meant is that the person whose car that was, they were an authority on questions. And so you could go to them if you had any questions about your questions and they would tell you. So so uh, so who who is a question authority? Who, who, who is an authority that we can question today? Are there any qu- authorities that we don't question uh, w- when I was young, there was Walter Cronkite. Everybody in America looked to, to Walter Cronkite. The nightly news—that's the way it is—and and people pretty much thought that what Walter said was true. Is that true today? Is there a network news anchor that that we trust today? Is there is there even a network news anchor that we know the name of? Uh, you know, Walter Cronkite is gone. Is there somebody we do listen to with authority? Is there is there an elected politician that we trust. Well, is there, since, since, since that's obviously not the case, there's no elected politician that, that more than a, uh, maybe a large minority uh, trusts, certainly none that a majority trusts, who do we trust? Do we trust the Centers on D- Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC? Do we trust the, the World Health Organization? Do we trust one or the other? Do we trust them both? Do we trust, do you trust your doctor? Uh, Do you trust your doctor enough to take their advice? To do what they tell you? Is there somebody that we actually trust today? You know, and, and, you know, this goes for the church. Do people trust the church? Do people trust men of God or women of God today, uh, the way that maybe they did at some point in the past? We seem to have lost all sense of, of what, what we can trust. We live in a, we live in an era of fake news and, and, you know, your news is not the same as, you know, it's not, it's not as true as my news. We, we have this idea that, that there is such a thing as fake news. We, we, we have people who tell us that we need to deconstruct the narrative. So who can we take seriously? Who can we treat as an authority? And, and if we do find somebody that we say is authoritative, if we say, I take that person seriously, does that mean we lose all credibility with somebody else? That they look at us and say, well, if you're taking that person seriously, I'm not going to take you seriously. Who do we listen to? Because we can't really evaluate why people took Paul seriously if we don't ask ourselves, why do we take people seriously? So, so we're, we're in this place where we know Paul wrote the, the, about a quarter of what became the New Testament. People took Paul very seriously. But they probably didn't do it because of miracles. They probably didn't do it because he was in the Bible, because he was in the process of writing the Bible. So what was it that they did see about Paul that made him worth listening to? What can Paul teach us about who we should listen to? Well, like I said, we are in uh, this uh, 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 process. We're, we're looking at this Correspondence that Paul had with the church in Thessalonica. Uh, last week we looked at chapter one of the the first letter to the Thessalonians, and if you if you didn't see that, then you can watch online. Um, it's it's still on demand, so you can watch that. Um, but but basically, Paul showed up in Thessalonica. As I said, he had come from Philippi, where he had been he had been um, uh, beaten and then expelled from town, and so he shows up in Thessalonica, and uh, we pick up. What happens, uh, as he describes, um, uh, that in, at the beginning of chapter two. He says, as you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, our visit with you wasn't a waste of time. He's reminding them that we both got something out of it, that, that something, you know, productive happened because of, because of our visit to you. And he says, um, on the contrary, far from being a waste of time, we had the courage through God to speak God's good news in spite of a lot of opposition. Although we had already suffered and been publicly insulted, as you know, so he says. He says, "You know what, what it was like when I arrived from Philippi that I had been treated badly there, um, and I showed up in Thessalonica, and I met with opposition there too. When I arrived in, in uh, Thessalonica, I had opposition there too." So, <clears throat> so he says, "You you you know the situation." But he said, "I had courage to speak God's good news in spite of that opposition." And he goes on, he says in verse three, he says, our appeal isn't based on false information, the wrong motives, or deception. And then in verse five, he says, as you know, we never used flattery and God is our witness that we didn't have greedy motives. Paul says, Paul says that despite the fact that we had opposition, we told the truth. We, we, <coughs> Paul says, despite that, we, we, um, We were, we were honest. We weren't, we weren't concealing what, what it was we were, we were telling people. That when we showed up, we told people the good news about uh, Jesus. We, we said that in the synagogues. We said, hey, everybody remember the, the promises that God made that He would send a Messiah. Well, I have good news. He's come. And, uh, that was not the answer people were looking for. And so it created opposition. And He said, so we went out into the marketplace and we started telling Gentiles about the Messiah and he says he says that caused even more opposition, but we didn't change our message. Now, I have to imagine that Paul probably did change the message somewhat. He changed the presentation. He, he had to explain to Gentiles in the marketplace more about that, those promises of God than he would have had to in a synagogue where people would have been familiar with him. So he might have changed the presentation. He might have said more, but he said the message was the same. I told people the good news about Jesus. He says that I had courage to do that and I didn't fool anybody. I didn't, I didn't, uh, change my tune once I, once I met with opposition. That I didn't say, well, okay, that's not selling so well. Let me, let me tweak that a little bit. Paul said, I told you the same message all along. And in, in verse four, this is a little lesson. If you're ever facing a, a place where you, you know you have to say the truth and it's, it's not going to be uh, good for you, he says, why? he says he says in in verse 4 he says the what it, it, the way he saw that was this he says rather we've been examined and approved by god to be trusted with the good news and that's exactly how we speak we aren't trying to please people but we are trying to please god who continues to examine our hearts so he says the way he makes sense of of his life the way that the way that he understands what he what he should do is he says i'm not preaching to the, to win the applause of people uh, I, my concern is that God would would hear me and say, "There is somebody who can be trusted with the good news, so he says that 's the way I interpret it, but either way, either way, I tell the truth, I tell the truth uh, in the synagogues, and I tell the truth to the gentiles in the marketplace so he says uh, i i have I have uh, that level of honesty and he, and so he says uh, that I keep saying the same thing despite any opposition. So that's the first thing he says and then he goes on in verse 6 he says we didn't ask for special treatment from people not from you or from others although we could have thrown our weight around as Christ's apostles. So he says he says um I am an apostle of Christ. Uh, what does that mean? Well, those are both church words. The word apostle means somebody who's been sent, an emissary, an ambassador and he says i'm an ambassador of christ christ is king christ is god's anointed king he says he says i have the authority of an ambassador from the king and you can imagine that that carries with it some 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 perks and he says i didn't lean into that i didn't i didn't demand perks even though i am an ambassador of the king he says he says no i didn't demand that he says instead um, verse 7 he says we were gentle with you like a nursing mother caring for her own children we were glad to share not only God's good news with you, but our very lives. So he says, I didn't just give you the message and say, you know, deal with it. Instead, he says, he says, we shared our lives with you um, uh, because we cared for you very much. You remember, brothers and sisters, our efforts and hard work. We preached God's good news to you while we were tar- night and day. So we wouldn't be a burden on any of you. You and God are witnesses of how holy, just and blameless we were toward you believers. Likewise, you know how we treated each of you, like a father treats his own children. He says we appealed to you, encouraged you, and pleaded with you to live lives worthy of the God who is calling you into His kingdom and glory. So, so we listen to that uh, as Paul recounts the way he was among his supporters, the people who were not his opponents. How did he how did he behave around them? He didn't make demands. Instead, he was like a, a mother. And then he says, well, like a, like a sibling, like a brother, um, and then he says, um, like a father. So, we might get whiplash as we listen to Paul run through these different uh, metaphors, you know, mother, brother, father, but the, the point is, he was a family member. He was somebody that they saw up close and personal, that they had a family relationship with. Paul says, that's who I was among you. And, and the point there is, is, he says, a family. In, in a family, we don't we don't act like it's a hotel. You know, you do my cleaning and make my meals. We we contribute. And he says we contributed. We we were sharing ourselves with you. We worked hard so we wouldn't be a burden. So he says we're a family in that way. But he also says a family. You got to see the real me. You know, uh, I had a I had a pastor colleague um, at, at a, a different church who told me that um, they, they were they were concerned about their children um, and the faith development of their children. They said. You know, I think the problem with our kids is they've seen the clowns without their makeup. That they got to see what the pastor was really like inside the the, the home. Now, I don't know, I don't know those children at all, um, but I thought that that was a particularly um, uh, transparent uh, statement on the part of the pastor. They're saying, "Look, I have not been the Christian at home that I should be. Uh, I'm not the Christian at home that I present to people at my church." So they were concerned that the children had seen a different, a different person from the pastor at the church and at home. And it was not, it didn't help their faith development any. So again, I don't know how that worked out, but that phrase, the the clowns without their makeup. Paul is saying, you saw this particular clown without his makeup. You were, you were in a family relationship. You got to see, you got to see me like a nursing mother. You got to see me like a brother. You got to see me like a father who is appealing and encouraging and pleading with you. He says, you saw the real me. You got to see me on the inside. So Paul says, the opponents, the opponents, you saw me in front of the opponents. You saw how I, how I was with people who disagree with me, people who were not happy to hear what I had to say. And I didn't change my message. I was honest. I was, I was, I had integrity with them. And he says, and you got to see me in private too. You got to see the real me. So, so Paul says, I did not, Trim my sails when the wind changed and and you know some people would have trimmed their their sails he says i didn't do that he says, and you got to see me in in private and I didn't change my message there. I showed you who I was um, as much as told you who I was so Paul says that this is how he behaved, and we know it's true, and the reason we know it's true is because Paul wrote this letter to people who knew it was true, and they didn't say well that's not. That's not so, Paul. You were not like that at all. They kept the letter. They preserved it. They made copies of it for for a couple of centuries, and they passed it around. They circulated it to other Christians because they said this guy's the real deal. We know it. We know it because we saw him up close and personal. We saw the way he dealt with his opposition. So Paul Paul uh, validated his his integrity uh, in front of people who knew who knew the real him and we can we can believe what he said because they believed it and they held on to it and passed it down to us. So we can trust Paul for those reasons and we can use those reasons to evaluate all the other people we hear. We we can we can use that as we listen to people today. Jesus told us that that we should judge not. Jesus said do not judge people because we too will be judged. But just a few verses later he said you will know people by their fruit. He says, he says, you know, Jesus said that we will know people by the fruit that they bear in their lives. So he says, he says, it's not up to you to condemn people. It's not up to you to make a moral judgment on somebody. But you don't have to take everything they say at face value. That there's nothing wrong with saying, well, I'm not sure I believe that. You know, but, but, but we have those two options. We can, we don't have the option of condemning people of saying, you know, you're a bad person, but we can say, I'm not going to believe that thing you said, or at least not without some more evidence. So, so we don't condemn people, but we don't necessarily take everything they say at face value. So, how do we, how do we take people, or, or what should we, what, what criteria should we apply if we want to take people seriously, or to know if we should take them seriously? How do we make sure that people take us seriously? the answer is to be like paul to have integrity and you know this this is not uh, even a church thing paul says that he had the courage to have integrity because of his of his trusting in god but the integrity itself anybody with the right amount of courage can do that and and uh, it probably will take courage paul goes on to say in this letter that um that the people who 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 knew him who trusted him and and Copied this letter down through the, through the years, that if they, if they believed him, if they put into practice what he told them to do, what, the way that he articulated the message with Jesus, if they did that, it would cost them too. He said it will cost you from your countrymen the same way it cost me from my countrymen. So Paul says that's, that's gonna happen. And they know that that was true too, because again, they had time to say, you know, what Paul told us isn't, isn't factual. And they instead they kept a copy of it and they passed it along. So it will cost you something. It it, it, it uh, may cost you something, but don't be surprised if it does. People may disagree with you, but they will respect your integrity. And and it may cost you it may cost you. Um there's a poll that just came out this summer that said more Americans have opinions that they're afraid to share in twenty twenty. Then in 2017, so they did a, a poll uh, three years ago and they found out that the group of the group of Americans, um, these are political opinions. The group of Americans that is most comfortable sharing their opinions, 40 percent of 42 percent of them are uncomfortable. 42 percent of Americans are afraid. And the group that was most uncomfortable sharing their opinions, 80 percent of them were afraid to share their their opinions. They said this will cost me um if I say things I believe, it's going to cost me. So even the group that was most comfortable, 40% of them were afraid. And uh, the average across all Americans was 62% of Americans have opinions that they're afraid to share. So what do you do? Well, Paul shows us, you go ahead and you say, I'm putting this out there. I, I have integrity. I'm not going to change my message based on what what I think is, is going to... Um, Is gonna get me in trouble. So Paul is, Paul is inviting us to be like him and to have that kind of integrity. But it's up to us. It's up to us. How do we want people to treat us? Do they want, do we want people to look at us and say, well there goes one more grifter, there goes one more con artist, there goes, you know, one more street corner sophist, somebody who will just tell you anything to make a buck. Do we want people to take us that way? Do we we want our co-workers to see the things we say in that light? It's up to us. We can decide how we want our children to to, to look at us, how we want our grandchildren to remember the things that we taught them. This is something that's up to us. And the the solution is, like Paul, to have integrity. It worked for Paul 2,000 years ago. We're still talking about Paul today. It'll work for us to get us through the next job interview or the next, the next news cycle. We can have integrity. And Paul shows us that if we do, it may have a cost, but it will not be, it will not be less than the value of what we gain by doing so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for Paul and for his, his example of integrity. The example that we know is true because people who knew Paul personally Vouched for it, that they commended it to us. They they followed it even at the cost of of trouble in their own in their own lives. Lord, we pray that you would give us that same kind of courage, not just not just worldly courage like like some of us have and some of us wish we had more of, but the kind of courage Paul talks about, courage uh, in God, to to show integrity, to be the same kind of people in in the face of opposition that we are. Um, when there's no opposition, when when the wind is at our backs. Lord, we, we pray that you would give us the kind of integrity that we can be the same person in private that we are in public. We pray these things, Lord, through Christ our Lord. Amen.